The wealth tech revolution is now. Wealthstack provides bolder technology strategies and powers a new generation of growth-oriented advisors. Join us in Florida, May 21st to the 24th, and get 20% off now with our discount code WEALTH20. That's WEALTH20, W-E-A-L-T-H-2-0. And be sure to search Wealthstack to find out more. Welcome to the Wellstack Podcast. I'm your host, Shannon Rossick, the Director of Wellstack Content and Solutions. In this episode, I am joined by Jason Pereira, who is an award-winning financial planner who also happens to be a fintech expert. The topic for today, digitizing your practice end-to-end. Jason, so excited to have you on the podcast. My pleasure, Shannon. Happy to be here. So before we dive into the first segment, I want to hear a little bit about your background. Did you always know you wanted to be an advisor? Did you just have an affinity towards helping people? And when did technology come into play? Yeah, it's an interesting sort of tale. So uh, when I was in high school, I didn't want to go to university and take a degree in something that I didn't, you know, maybe empty, maybe after four years of getting a degree, was like, oh, I don't want to do that. So I did uh, various co-op, co-op terms that uh, I went to do a co-op term. And when I basically, they asked me what I was interested in, the stock market is of course of interest to, you know, teenage boys about, you know, concerned about money. So they put me with one of the largest brokers in the country, actually. And that ended up being a co-op position, became a summer job that became a job whenever I had time to come back and a full-time job after university. Uh, but it was like at a, at a large Canadian broker dealer owned by one of the major banks. And I learned what I did not want or like out of the industry. <laughs> and And when I left, it was, okay, so how do I do the same thing? But make it mutually beneficial. And, you know, I, what I will say is I discovered the power of what can be accomplished in that position. And that's really where it would ignited the passion for trying to create, you know, something that was basically going to help people live out the fullest version of their lives. So that's, that's largely where it came from. And so what about the technology side of things though, because you've really just between your podcasts and and you're always quoted in in articles, like where did that love come from? It, I'm just a technophile. I mean, I am a curious person by nature. And honestly, I, you know, the number of apps that get downloaded to my phone or, or things I try or sign up for trials, my, my life is a giant beta test, right? I'm always checking for things that I just want to see what's out there. And, and that, you know, became a little bit more evident when, when the, when the fintech scene started to pick up. So when the fintech scene started to pick up, you know, especially in my country and in my city, which was a hub, I would just like see like a robo advisor be like, wow, that's a really awesome interface. And I just email the founders and be like, I would love to be able to do what you're doing. Is there any way you're looking at doing this for the advisor channel? And they'd be like, how did you find me? And what do you mean you're an advisor under 60 knows how to use a computer? And my response <laughs> was always, well, first name at URL.com. You guys are all the same. And and B, yes, let's meet for coffee. Uh, and then so I I started becoming kind of like this, this subject matter expert that they would turn to for just guidance and maybe built a lot of relationships. But at the same time, the advisor community was really kind of like, reticent or hesitant to even talk to these people, right? Sure. So they were trying to reach out to advisors. Advisors were like, go away, you hoodied kids who don't know what you're doing. Uh, you're trying to take my my lunch money. And and I was there in the middle going, hold on a sec, guys. Like, you're, you're missing this. So I'd find myself defending it. Next thing you know, while just having conversations and passing in groups of people, people would be like, oh, you should speak at our conference at this. I'm like, why? And they'd be like, well, you actually seem to know what's going on. I'm like, okay. And then, so that happened. And then that was, and I realized I fit this really weird Venn diagram of practitioners who understood the technology scene and listened to a bunch of FinTech podcasts, found that they were primarily consulting companies looking to sell their services, which is fine, but no one was really having a conversation about what is it you do and how does this impact traditional markets and can I use it? Or are you like, what's going on? And so that's where it really started. That's really kind of took off was, was that kind of just, I was having these conversations anywhere. Anyway, let's just 
start recording them and sharing them. And, you know, that was over 300, well, sorry, over 250-ish episodes on that podcast ago. And that's led to countless other endeavors. Well, you are a, a true hybrid, so which is why I'm so excited to talk to you. So I appreciate the background, but I want to dive into our first segment. You know what's coming, stats yeah. all folks. So the T3 Inside Information Software Study was recently released, and to little surprise, the four categories of software most often found in an advisor office are, you know, respectively the CRM, financial planning, portfolio management, and document processing. But the number that caught my eye was actually 96%, which is the market penetration around CRM adoption. Feel like that should be a hundred, but clearly the data is saying that a small number of firms are not utilizing the client tracking and office management capabilities that have made the CRM the hub of most advisor offices. Why do you think that's the case? Obstinance, stubbornness, and um, and and lack of professionalization. I'm sorry, I don't even know what to say anymore. The idea that you could actually really keep all of your clients' information in one in your head at all times that you uh the ex the degree to which you're exposing yourself to audit and compliance risk is just beyond shocking to me never mind the efficiencies that can be gained through automation never mind the collaboration team stuff like those are all benefits but i mean like the most foundational piece of this as a crm is here is the place that we put the basic information and communication there so i mean I'm sure that this is disproportionately, I even tweeted out, like, who are these 3.54% of advisors that don't have a CRM face palm? And, and the reality is, is that I'm willing to bet that they're disproportionately solo practitioners. Um, they dis, they probably have poor tech adoption in the first place. But I would also say that this probably is also going to assume that they skew older. You know, uh, that's, that's what I've seen to my experience. But, you know, one of two things, at some point you're going to exit. How much value is there to a business that has no records and lots of right. liability that we don't know about? Like that is that is frightening. I don't know. I don't know what to say. I mean, like I'm sure that that didn't that, that questionnaire did not include you know how many of you are using Excel, which is a horrible horrible stopgap. Uh, but it is it is it is quite frightening. And frankly, I'll tell you right now, uh, if I was if I was a regulator looking for red flags, do you maintain a CRM? Would be a question. I think that's, I mean, that's an absolutely fair point because it's like you said, I still run across those folks who said, oh yeah, you know, Excel's doing what it needs to do. And it's like, like you said, if you're planning to transition or there's M&A involved or succession planning, yikes, <laughs> like, what are you going to do? Just try to dump that all, like you said, from your brain. I don't think so. <laughs> look, I mean, look, there's the, yeah, I even said to people, look, you know, at the end of the day, if all you need is a digital Rolodex because you're not planning on integrations, you're not very tech literate, all that, you know, if you, you still need a place to put your notes. And mm -hmm. and I, what I will say is that more often than not, what I find is that people aren't even taking proper notes, right? So it's I, I would say it is a tip of the iceberg test for what are probably other massive operational issues that exist within the fun, the company. And that's not to say that people can't be doing wonderful jobs. It's not to say that at all. What it is saying is that there is there there it's it's more of a sign that something's going wrong than going right i completely agree and another kind of hot topic this this week coming off of this conference too was 
around cybersecurity. So you just mentioned risk a few moments ago, but obviously cybersecurity is a critical component of any business, but especially in financial services, because advisors, as we know, deal with massive amounts of sensitive data. Mm -hmm. So actually in that same study, the total market penetration around cyber only moved from 22% in 2022 to 24% for this year. Why aren't more advisors adopting cybersecurity? Is it just a lack of education and understanding at this point? Because there are solutions out there. So let's keep in mind that that survey predominantly addresses the RA market, not the broker-dealer yep. market, Correct. right? So I think that you have to understand, and I had this conversation recently, is that the degree of risk largely also depends upon how big of a target you have painted on you, right? So large broker-dealers, they have a huge target painted on because penetration there means millions of records, right? Whereas, you know, local RIA catering to 60 households, you know, the amount of effort it would take to penetrate, first of all, do you show up on the radar? Secondly, the amount of effort it would take to penetrate them? Uh, you know, what is the upside? So, so the reality is I think that there is a, you know, attack vector where you're just, you're just too small to attract invasion, right? Like that's one of them, potentially, because it's not this or the case. The other issue is that, so conversely, your defenses are lower. Right. And that's that's problematic. So the reality is, is that cybersecurity is something that should be keeping everyone up at night. Um, and but the key here is, I will say, is that you just and I give advice to people, even single practitioner shops all the time. It's just don't be the low hanging fruit. Like legitimately don't be the low hanging fruit. Use a, you know, even though LastPass got hacked recently, there were certain things you can do to basically minimize the impact of that. Like unique passwords for every site utilizing a password manager. Two-factor authentication in every capacity possible and typically not the ones that are sending you an sms message because that is also hackable in case people didn't know this uh jack dorsey when he was ceo of twitter actually had that happen to him and someone hijacked his twitter account hilarious uh and then like so you're looking at like you're looking at like a hardware key or a google authenticator type style product like that stuff makes you less attackable in the first place so that sort of stuff is is huge uh, and then also i mean Hey, SEC passed a rule that everybody's going to have to be SOC two compliant when it comes right. to connection of, of these of these different systems. So, you know, the the infrastructure is taken care of. But I would say that more often than not, people throw up the oh, security is a concern, almost as a protest to should I take on another vendor or should I deal with this company. When in actuality, most of the vendors out there that are basically providing services to the RA market and the advisor market at large, basically they typically have their security game up or they have monitoring systems for this sort of thing because they have to. The weakest link in the chain is always human beings, always, right? Social engineering, and not even social engineering, let's just call it poor practice. And the number of times where I've spoken at conferences on technology and someone is just like, like, don't you worry about security using all this? And my response is, okay, I want I want everybody to be honest in this room. Let's all be honest. I'm going to ask you one question. How many of you have a password written on a Post-it note sitting somewhere <laughs> on your desk? And they all start laughing. And I'm I sure. say, no, no. I told you not to, I told you to raise your hand. Let's be honest, put them up. And sure enough, maybe one third of the room agrees to that, right? And I'm saying like, so you need to see, you need to realize right now that your biggest enemy is not Redtail or Salesforce. It's not your custodian. Your biggest enemy is you and your staff. That's your biggest gaping hole. Until you solve that, Everything else, like anyone, everyone else you're dealing with is at scale. Everyone, everyone knows that they their their entire company relies upon security. I mean, you know, I mentioned the last pass hack. I don't know what their numbers are going to look like in, in 12 months, but I can assure you they are not net positive sales, right? Because their one thing they were supposed to do, they failed that. And, and I'll tell you right now, if there was a mass breach of any of the companies I just mentioned, guess what? They're going to suffer dramatically. So they know they have that risk and they are defending against it. What are you doing? That's the problem.
Yep. That's a great point. And, you know, we talked about CRM, we talked about cyber and you've given presentations around digitizing your practice from end to end. And you'll be speaking on that at Wellstack, which very excited about, you know, in that context, can you explain what that ultimately means and how that impacts the front middle back office? And ultimately what's the impact on the end client when you are trying to digitize your practice end to end? Well, I think, and this is where I'll say it depends on the jurisdiction we're talking about. Of course, I'll be speaking in the U.S., so the good thing is that you guys have had a lot of advisor technology for quite a while, so you've, you've tackled like every vertical imaginable. There's a solution out there. It's great. Um, and the, But the reality is, is that I look at a lot of the advisor technology that exists, and yes, there's a lack of integration around the consumer experience, right? Like no one's tackled client portals and in a, one, in a wonderful integrated way yet. Like, so that doesn't exist. So what happens is we get a lot of different things that potentially get put in front of a client. And a lot of what we've done to date as advisors has been more so to how do I get the work I need to do done faster and not necessarily worried about what it looks like to the client, right? Um, or or the level of involvement. Like there is some consideration there, but it, it it hasn't been, efficiency has been the goal more than anything, right? And my friend Dennis, Dennis Mosley-Williams is a well-known speaker on the subject of, of, um, of experience. Uh, he and I were chatting about this and said like, look, it's not, they're not in opposition to each other, right? Like he always says efficiencies is the enemy of experience. My response is it doesn't have to be, right? And if you focus upon efficient but memorable experiences, you can do that, especially with technology. So what this, what I'm trying to get at here is that, look, there exists a solution for any headache that you have in your practice, for any conversation you want to have, for any desire to expand upon the understanding of what that client is and provide purpose, to deliver value, because every advisor is always trying to figure out how do I demonstrate the value I'm bringing to the table? Because I know all this stuff. I know all this stuff. I can help them. But how do I make sure they know I can help them? How do I show them I can help them? And there are solutions out there that tackle every last problem you can conceive of. The issue you got to worry about is how do you use that technology to basically not burden them, but to basically provide them with a interactive, compassionate human conversation around what's important to them, demonstrate knowledge without overwhelming them and make it dynamic, right? And, and do so in a way that is friendly. Like for example, I'll use a simple example. I used, uh, I always caught this up because it's a recent project, Precise FP for questionnaires and onboardings. I use that in the last couple of weeks to develop a annual update process for all my compliance forms that basically takes clients through a secure five minute process before they get a DocuSign document that they get signed off. And all they're doing is validating data, but it's also, sounds simple, like I walk through with a couple of slides, I validate data, I hit go, I get this document signed, sent over, great. But it's also part of the experience is they get greeted with a video of me saying, thank you so much for trusting us. You know, we continue to want to help work with you. We have some obligations we have to meet. We have this information. We need you to validate it. It'll take three minutes, three to four minutes to go through. Please take your time. Get this, get, get this. Let us know if anything looks really off. Otherwise, you can edit it yourself. Boom. Gets later on. There's a video about uh, selecting a trusted contact in terms of in case anything happens with their capacity. Explain what that concept is and who is. So I've enhanced. So think about that. I've got this administrative process that I made streamlined and quick, but I've enhanced it by just lending my face to it and, and thanking them, right? That those are, there's so many ways to do that with technology when you, with the technologies that exist, when people typically set them up to just deal with the thing, as opposed mm -hmm. to say, how do I deal with this thing while simultaneously making this enjoyable and building the connection I have with the client? 
Oh, absolutely. And, and like you said, there's a solution for pretty much everything. And we've really started to see that trend in wealth tech around tools that can assist advisors, you know, really around specialized planning, whether it's retirement income distribution, specialized planning, such as estate or tax, you know, social security analysis, marketing, like you said, whatever you want. And it seems that shifting client demand is really forcing advisors to be more specialized and that they need to be tech enabled to offer these experience. Um, so in your opinion, what's driving the change in, in client needs? Oh, I don't think, I think the client needs always existed. I think what, what, what we're seeing here is that the technology is following the market, right? And it's very simple. Uh, back in the day, it was easy to hang a shingle and say, look, Hey, I provide investment solutions, right? Oh, great. That's new and novel. <laughs> Let's go there. Right. And then that market gets saturated. Right. And, you know, Michael Kitsis does a wonderful job of talking about how it used to be that, hey, we can get you in the market. Then it was, OK, no, I can get you. I can I can basically get you a portfolio. OK, that got commoditized. I can build you. A, I can build you a financial plan. Like so we're constantly moving up this this like this this fight between commoditization and differentiation. Right. Differentiation becomes commoditized. We move up and up this scale. And just like technology. We've seen historically, a lot, even in the fintech sector, we've seen that a lot of these solutions that used to come out were broad-based. They were CRM, they were portfolio management systems, they were all these things. And that that territory was fought over and largely won and saturated. And now you're seeing, as you mentioned, things like technologies around decumulation planning, like, um, um, oh boy, I'm, I'm freezing on three names. Uh, Timeline's one of them. Um, oh, God. Uh, income lab, right? So like you're seeing those specialized accumulations ones. You're seeing ones around conversations about just, you know, visualizing the planning that clients are doing like asset map. You mm -hmm. have uh, tax ones like holistic plan. You have, uh, I mean, tax estate, uh, like, like FP alpha, where we're starting to get into the verticals of financial planning, right? Or just even how do I enhance the conversation solutions like, el like elements or, um, or, uh, oh God, I'm freezing. Okay, I'm going to talk about all of them there. Point is, <laughs> is that Point is, is that like we're starting to get into things that are looking at, okay, forget the generalizations of what advisors do. We got the general infrastructure down, but like we say we provide value in this segment. How do I enhance the ability to provide that value? And this is this is indicative of every market. You start off, technology starts off basically tackling the broad-based concerns and then moves into niches, right? Because just like just like we are doing as advisors. Why? Because hey. It is no challenge to open up an investment account in this world anymore. Pull out your phone, download a robo-advisor app, you'll be going in five minutes, right? No issue. But planning is still a challenge, right? Now, generalized planning, you, you can't be all things to all people, but you can be a lot of things to one type of person. And that is why we see statistics around niche marketing having faster growth rates than everyone else, because it's a message that you want people to read your website, to see your content, and to say, oh my God, that is me. Everybody else is talking to someone else but they are talking to me. And do you think some advisors and advisory practices have essentially been caught off guard by how much clients actually do care about having that seamless experience? Clients don't necessarily care about what tech you're using, but it's more about that user experience being friendly and frictionless. Well, I think you have to look at what's happened with technology in their lives in general, right? They hold a device in their hands more powerful by orders of magnitude than what sent the uh, astronauts to the moon in the first place, right? And there's a saying in technology that, Apple, uh, that Amazon got us used to instant and Apple got us used to beautiful. And it's true, right? And the reality is, is that, you know, you order something. I mean, how many people have ordered an Uber? And it's like, what do you mean this guy's taking more than 10 minutes? What's going on here? I'm going to cancel and do it over again. Guilty. I mean, like, <laughs> Like right here, right? Like we, if we assume, you know, it's, it's now the fast, you know, certain apps are like the fast food of, of whatever it is they're doing. So they are basically putting it out there that essentially like 
if you don't have your hamburger in front of you in, in, in under two minutes, something went wrong in the kitchen, right? That's that's largely what we look at. Like, I mean, when again, order something from Amazon. What do you mean it arrives in three weeks, right? Like, where's the person who's going to get to me tomorrow, right? And then Amazon, and then Apple, same thing. Like, I, it's really hard to wrap my head around terrible UI anymore, right? It's like, did you not try, right? And if anything, it makes the experience feel terrible. Right. So the reality is, is that we've been shown the way on how to make things easy. Now, there are some things that, I mean, as an individual advisors, we can't control that. Right. But the question comes down to maybe we can't control the thing that needs to put the information that we need to put the information in. Maybe the, with the, the client experience on this isn't great. But is there a way we can use another tool to then transfer that data to that tool in a very user friendly and clean way? And how do I protect them? from the bad design? How do I protect them from the bad experience? Where, you know, it used to be that our, you know, our heavy lifting that we did uh, as part of our value proposition was filling out paperwork and it was all the extra heavy stuff we had to do to, to just administer things. Well, that is being digitized more and more every year. But what's not, what we have to start thinking about is that some of that time that we're, that we're consuming maybe needs to be redirected away from, to make, we want to make their lives easier. So maybe the heavy lifting has to be basically taken up by playing interference on what the digital experience looks like and and until we can fill the gap and make it seamless. And so before we dive into our next segment, I have one more question. Do you have any advice for advisory practices that are looking to digitize and automate more? Any other trends that you'll be following closely? There's so many trends. I mean, <laughs> you have um, to pick one or two. Look, I'll say, listen, I'll say first thing you got to understand is what is the what is the what are the possibilities out there, right? Understanding what's possible right is the first step because you've already probably got a successful process or take a pro process you've you've uh, you've developed over time but knowing what is what is out there is the first challenge and if you look at Kitsis's tech map there's a lot out there they've even built a tool for screening to help you with it um but also you know asking around looking at best practices looking at other user stories and figuring out where these products fit your situation, right? And I would say getting a generalized idea first for what you want to build before you actually start building is, is important. From there, then you got to figure out where's the biggest pain point? What's the thing that's going to get me the most, get me the most traction? Solve that problem first. That's when you compare vendors and you make sure it fits into the overall vision of what you're generally trying to create. So it's kind of like you have to come up with a fuzzy vision of the future first before you start getting specific as to who you're going to deal with. That's the key, right? And as for trends, hey, uh, you know, I've been working quite heavily with a financial planning software that's bringing artificial intelligence to some degree to financial planning, which is going to hopefully take the 10 hours benchmark for financial planning down to, you know, two to three if we're lucky, right? Um, that is that is a trend. GPT chat. I just had a conversation with a company just the other day who was bringing GPT chat to advisors for development of, uh, of their note-taking for composition of emails for all kinds of interesting things. These are this is the leading edge. We're going to see the leading edge of artificial intelligence touching this industry, right? And I'll tell you right now, everybody thinks about the oh yeah, you know they can run you know running portfolios or doing stuff like that. That's one thing, but what's really going to be fascinating is how they help us enhance our experience with the consumer, right? With the clients. And there's a danger here. The danger here is that AI is too generic and is meant to be to, be to everybody, right? What's going to happen is, is that it's knowing where the threshold between when I utilize artificial intelligence, because it can answer a general question versus when I'm the niche specific specialist who only I can answer that question and the machine's going to get it wrong. So it's a fascinating time we're in. That's going to mean a lot of interesting changes to a lot of practice, but I will tell you this much. The successful firms of the future will rely on two major things. Well, three. One is efficiency. 
Two is the ability to harness these types of new cutting edge technologies as they come to fruition to create massive efficiencies they never dreamt of before. And the last one, which we didn't really talk about much is the ability to build organic growth through actual conventional and digital media cha meeting channel, uh, media channels, because everybody, hey, the referral game is what most people rely upon. That's like praying for rain. It's something else when you can create a tap that just starts raining water down upon you. And that is, we've seen examples of that in the industry of very successful RA practices that have scaled very quickly because they figured out a content game. And that is going to be vital, especially in the market where you're speaking to one type of consumer. Absolutely. And that's where I'm interested to see where AI comes in as well when it comes to digital marketing and just marketing concepts in general for yeah. advisors, how they can really harness all that data and make it more actionable for their firms, right? So I do I... worry about that. I, <laughs> oh, do, okay. just up, I do worry about that because when I saw GPT chat and I saw some of the articles it was capable of writing, I'm like, we are going to see a supernova of general nonsense, right? Oh, yeah. And this is where I actually said to myself, this is this is great for guys like me who basically tend to do things at a very complex level and understand complex concepts, as well as people marketing to one type of niche. Because at the end of the day, the, the to that level of understanding of something like that is going to be hard to be replicated by the robots at this point. And frankly, everybody, I will say this much, you know, anyone who's in marketing will say the same thing. Speak to one person, do not try to speak to everybody, make it purposeful, you know, make it resonate. Most people are too afraid to do that. They want to speak to everybody. Guess what? The you're, you're gonna have an easy time doing it now with GPT chat. Just throw in a topic, whatever. It's gonna it's gonna publish your next blog post, your next tweet, whatever. But is it gonna be high value? Absolutely not. And it's gonna be in competition with everybody else doing that. Yep, that is great advice. But it is time for segment two of this episode, Jason, which is ask us anything, where I've gone out to the social universe and asked them to submit questions they want answered by you. So mm -hmm. let's check out who's dropping into the DMs this week. We had a few questions here. First one actually being around mobile adoption. And, mm. and they said, uh, mobile app adoption is still relatively low in the advisory space. And many firms are still interacting with their clients by email, phone, or Zoom, if you will. So what trends are you seeing, or in your opinion, how long will it take for mobile access to become a routine part of an advisory firm's client communication toolkit? It is one of the biggest gaping holes in the entire industry. When you think about this, almost everything that matters in my life has, has territory on my phone. There is every function of my life for something I care about, from my health to my to communication to my, my friends and family, to basically my account. Everything is a single icon on my phone. Where is the financial advisor? Right. And I think part of this is the issue. I'll go back to my port comment on portals. No one's built a truly comprehensive portal that integrates from best of class. Right. At the end of the day, when you make a portal decision, you're making a decision between custodial fi uh, financial planning software or portfolio management software. Typically, it's, it's one of those three. And every decision you make, maybe there's integrations, maybe there's not, but you're giving up something that was awesome and native to one of those three in order to basically get something in order to basically get a diminished version of it while getting something awesome and native there. Until we get to a place where we're not making these trade-offs, it's going to be tough. Now, it's even harder in the app space because there's like no one's built, the, built an app that, oh, by the way, I'm using eMoney. I'm using Salesforce. I'm using this. I'm using that. Let's just suck all that in and give you one experience. That is a very tough technical ass, uh, issue, right? So the reality is, is that what I've seen in the, let's, let's ask ourselves, what have we actually seen in the app space? Anything truly robust? No, right? Is there any app out there that truly pulls in all those three areas I just talked about, plus client document storage, plus communication. Think about the fact that we do not, we could have a secure channel of communication to our clients' phones, just like we do to everybody else. And we still don't, we're still not there, 
right? So it is a huge gaping hole. I think it speaks to the level of where we are in terms of the integration game, where I think a lot of the integrations that exist are largely superficial. It's a big challenge to move data around, and that's the problem. So I think what you will see is eventually you will see a firm that's got sufficient scale and sufficient vision around their client portal push that down to the app level with a, with our with, and here's the key with a respect for what the medium is for understanding that an app is not a port is not a website and you have to build a compelling app experience for a reason for people to go into there other than check their balances you do that and that's going to basically set an example for everybody else but no one's there yet as far as i've seen that is a fair point and the other question we actually got was i, I and i love this but What's the most valuable piece of tech in your tech stack? And are you looking to add anything in the near future? Well, that's that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> so the most valuable piece, oh, I mean, the, this is going to be highly un, unsatisfied, everybody. I mean, like, let's let's be realistic, foundational. Well, the fact that I'm working on a Mac makes my life happy as opposed to a Windows <laughs> machine. But that's, that's, that's part of it. Because at the end of the day, I mean, like, that's the portal for me doing everything. You know, is there one thing that's most important? Look, I think at this point, uh, my CRM is my is my tombstone of all data where everything integrates into. So it's got to be there until there's an easy solution for for non highly technical people. I'm more technical than most, but but an easy solution for like the equivalent of managed data lakes without any code to happen. We're never going to free the need to have your data embedded in one place versus having it independent. So that's that's the issue, right? So I'd say that the CRM at this point has to be the most important piece. As for what I'm looking to add, I've got a big ass roadmap, part of my language. Like it is, it is huge. No, but the reality is, is that like, look, it is there. I've said this before. Technology is not a destination. Digital transformation is not a destination. It is a journey and it never ends. And even if I got to the end where I said, okay, look at that. Every report is done. Every software is implemented. It's all done. I can guarantee you something will come out the next day where I'll be like, huh, that's interesting, right? How does that work, right? And at the end of the, you know, it's like asking a question of, well, like, when am I done getting better to service my clients? The answer is never. The answer is never. So yeah, there's still plenty I'm looking to implement. Uh, there's there's uh, a lot of I'm I'm constantly implementing. So I like I I always say do not do not look at it that way. Look at it. What is your fuzzy picture? Figure out the pieces you're going to implement. Once they're implemented, figure out the next one. But the picture will slowly come into focus, but it will never be fully in focus. There will always be fuzzy aspects around the outside that you want to enhance. So ne never never get complacent with your fuzzy picture. <laughs> Like, you know, the, you know, most Olympians don't win a gold medal and then go starts chain smoking and, and eating pizza, right? Like it's, <laughs> it's just not a thing, right? Like you're be better than you were the next, the previous day. Right. And, and any, it's like any other business, you know, you're either moving forward or backwards one way or another. So I choose not never to move backwards. Absolutely. Well, Jason, I appreciate you being put in the hot seat for this and your insightful answers. Even though I dropped an eight, <laughs> and, 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 even though I swore a little bit there, there we go. No, I mean, yeah. hey, we're, we're humans here. Like, I'm not trying yeah. to, I'm, I, you don't, you're not going to ever offend me with that. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> All right. Well, we have come to our final segment, uh, which is stack it or whack it, where I'm going to throw out a few technologies, not necessarily always well tech related. And you okay. tell me if they are essentially worth the hype or not. So AKA stack it or whack it. So this one might not so much be a technology, but I want to talk about compliance officers. Do you think tech will get to a point where it'll make this role essentially obsolete or at least reduced? You know, do we whack compliance officers, but stack the tech? What are your thoughts? Well, I would say the fact is, is that most of the compliance is done ex post ex execution, which is the problem. 
right? Really, the pro really what should happen is that the, the compliance intelligence should be layered into the system at the front end, which eliminates the need for ex post, so that nothing can go wrong before it starts. And the reality is, is that so I think that there is a there was a long exp expansion of the number of compliance officers. It's like automation. It's, it's like any other automation project. Once the once this starts getting done properly, it's going to start to go the other way. And the and the compliance officers who basically are going to be the most valuable are the ones who understand how it is that they layer in compliance along the digitization journey in getting this stuff done. Because let's face it, the vast majority of compliance work has to do with actual account the accounts and trading, and that is all should all be paid by numbers at the end. And if you can create those rails and that system, then it's just that person basically working about everything outside of that system. So I, I've just, I've got to get you to say it. So stack it or whack it then. Um, <laughs> bifurcating. I stack the, I stack the high, the high concept, high, high implementation compliance officers. Great future for them because they're going to tell the tech guys where to shoot. The check boxes compliance, whack it. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Last one. And I'm trying not to make assumptions because you're based out of Canada and you're Canadian, but hoping you're <laughs> a bit of a hockey fan here. But um, I find it really interesting that hockey was actually the, the first sport to implement virtual reality technology for training purposes. So stack it or whack it in terms of being helpful with mental training and time off the ice or kind of a distraction at this point. It's funny because as soon as you mentioned virtual reality technology, my mind goes back to the Fox track tracks puck. You know, if you remember that, that was that was a fiasco. Like, oh no, yes. Americans can't see the puck. So let's let's make it blue when you're passing and red when you're shooting and have this trail behind it like it's a video game. Right. Apparently they wasted the equivalent in today's dollars of like $10 million developing that tech. And was it they that just much? asked <laughs> it was crazy. And and it was like, and and frankly, if you'd asked a single Canadian, there was actually a commercial in Canada where the executive, an executive like, su su like suggested that. And then all you see is them getting thrown out of the room with a red trail behind them, because that is how bad that was. Now that said, that technology eventually gave us the first downline. So I got to say, you know, decent trade-off. Okay. Um, so I will tell you, I am, I am big on the future of virtual reality in specific segments around things like education huge gaming yes and i actually think in, you know i've had this conversation i think i had this conversation with dale crosby last month of all things in in terms of therapy in terms of understanding and revisiting aspects of your life and coming to terms with them also in terms of like about the financial planning stuff we've heard the studies where advisors where when clients are shown a picture of what they could look like in 20 years it enhances their desire to save because now they're able to relate to the person they're going to be i think that the ability to use that to visualize what it is they want what they what it is they're working towards is an incredibly powerful tool that has not been done yet i even know a doctor who's doing this now with end of life counseling where basically they're using you know visualize the person towards the end of life what is it that you want to leave a doctor as a note as to beyond the beyond the power of attorney as to how you want them to deal with your final stages, right? So I think that there's an incredible way for us to zoom forward and backwards in life and figure out what mattered to us, what we need to get over. I am I am hugely long it. Now, there's also a lot of nonsense. So stack it, credible potential. But like all things, just like there's just like there's more dead crypto coins than exist than the live <laughs> ones. There's a lot of bad ideas in any new technology. 
Completely agree. Well, Jason, it's been an absolute pleasure getting to speak with you. Feel free to tell listeners where they can find out more about you and where you'll be next. <laughs> yes, my pleasure. So uh, you can find me at at jasonprayer.ca, which uh, you'll hopefully be able to get that spelling from the show notes as opposed to uh, you know butchering my last name, which I'm used to. Uh, that is the uh, that is where all my content eventually aggregates to. Otherwise, I am very active on social. You can find me there in various locations, um, specifically picking fights on Twitter. And uh, I will be speaking usually about other stuff related to the industry and high standards. Uh, and then I will be speaking at, uh, at Wellstack, as you said, in May. Uh, it is May, right? Yes, I will be there in May and uh, hopefully other locations uh, in the back half of the year, but we'll see. Well, fantastic. Looking to looking forward to seeing you out on the road and looking forward to obviously having you give your visionary session at Wellstack. Uh, and for those looking for more content like this, be sure to check out uh, our event page for Wellstack to see what's going on over those four days. And be sure to follow us on all social media platforms, LinkedIn and Twitter specifically for more information. And thank you all for listening today. The WealthTech revolution is now. WealthStack provides bolder technology strategies and powers a new generation of growth-oriented advisors. Join us in Florida May 21st to the 24th and get 20% off now with our discount code WEALTH20. That's WEALTH20, W-E-A-L-T-H-2-0. And be sure to search WealthStack to find out more.